to The Killer Kind. It's your host, Stephanie Miller, as always. Before we get started, I want to quickly mention that I'll be having another giveaway over on the podcast Instagram page, which is killer.kind.pod. Um, just keep an eye out over there and stay tuned to the end of this episode and I'll give you more information on what the giveaway is for and how to enter. But moving on, I want to also say thank you to everyone who sent me case suggestions the last two weeks. That's been awesome. I had a few different people send me some very interesting cases that I've definitely added to my list. I'm not going to be covering those today, but don't worry, I've got a good one. And those cases that were sent are going to take some time for me to research and kind of dive into because just brief, briefly looking into a couple of them, there's not a ton of information. So it's going to be a little deeper dive on those, but thank you for sending those over. I can't wait to check them out. Now, I will say, I did have another case lined up for this week that I'm also not covering today. The case I had planned on covering touches on a very sensitive topic here in 2021, and there's kind of just a lot to unpack and a lot of necessary information that I can't leave out, but that does take time to explain. So I just need more time to work on that one. But don't worry, that case will be next. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and... I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Now, today's case is one that I've heard about multiple times and one I've heard covered by other podcasters and one that I've even watched a short documentary on. So I didn't have to dive too deep on this one because I knew the bulk of the information on the case already. And some of you may have heard it as well. I would love to know if you've heard about this case and what your thoughts are. Um, with that being said, I hope you enjoy it. I think it's an important story that needs to be told. And I think personally, it's worth a listen. So without further ado, guys, let's jump into the tragic murder of Emma Jane Walker. Emma Walker was born on March 20th, 2000 in Knoxville, Tennessee. Emma had a brother named Evan and their parents were Mark and Jill Walker. They were your typical all-American family. Emma seemed to love her community and seemed to do anything for anyone. She also had big dreams and big life goals, even at an early age. We know that Emma really wanted to be a neonatal nurse, which is a specific job working with premature babies or sick newborns. I mean, that to me just speaks volumes to who Emma was as a person, just a kind soul that wanted to help others. And she was also described by her family and friends as a bright, vibrant person who lived her life to the fullest. Now, in the fall of 2014, Emma started her freshman year at Central High School in Knoxville. And right away, she joined the varsity cheerleading squad, which is typically pretty hard to do as a freshman, but that was something she was proud to accomplish. And right away, she made friends with everyone on the cheerleading squad, even though most of them were older than her. She pretty much fit right in. Now, shortly after joining the squad, she caught the eye of the star-wide receiver on the high school football team, which was a boy named Riley Gall. Now, Because the two ran in sort of the same crowd, it was a matter of time before these two got together. And once they met and started talking, Riley really fell head over heels for Emma. They were pretty much the it couple, too, like right away. Now, 
At the time the two started dating, Emma was 14 and Riley was 16. Now, it's not too uncommon in high school these days. Um, And at first, because Emma was so young, her parents really didn't allow the two to hang out alone. They really limited what the two could do together outside of school or football games. However, they could hang out in groups with a couple of people, and the two could hang out at Emma's house as long as her parents were there and pretty much in the same room. But despite the limitations put on their relationship, Emma's mom, Jill, said she was really happy those first few months. Everything seemed to be going great. However, after the first few happy months, Emma's close friend, Lauren, said things became very intense between the couple pretty quickly. She said each argument the two had was extremely dramatic and definitely did not need to be taken to those measures. Riley was definitely verbally abusive to Emma during those arguments, calling her names and just being very aggressive. He was also extremely controlling. At one point, Riley even went to Emma's work and sat out in the parking lot until she got off work. I mean, he would sit there for hours and wait for her to get off work. And then he would follow her home to make sure she wasn't doing something he didn't want her to do. Lauren even mentioned that Riley never made an effort to be with any of Emma's friends like most boyfriends do, or at least should do. To me, that's a red flag, speaking from personal experience. Um, Riley's actions continued to get worse, however. He even started making Emma change clothes when he didn't like or approve of what she was wearing. Yeah, no high school boyfriend should be telling his girlfriend what to wear. Let me rephrase that. No man on the planet should tell his partner what to wear. That should be a huge red flag alone. But anyways, this kid got to the point where he was telling her what she could and could not do. Telling her what she could and could not wear. Who she could and could not hang out with. And when she wouldn't respond back to his text only after like a few minutes, he would start these huge fights and literally start something out of nothing. And the two started constantly breaking up and getting back together. It started to become a vicious cycle between the two. And when it started happening, Emma's parents started to become worried about the two. Apparently, whenever Riley and Emma would break up, Riley would go back to his ex-girlfriend. But during those times, he would be texting Emma just the most hateful of things. And I don't like to cuss on this podcast, so I'll censor a few of these texts from Riley. But at one point, he said... I hate you, I hate everything about you, and you're the biggest B I've ever come in contact with. Another text said, you're dead to me, I'll check the obituary, F you. Yeah, this guy was crazy. But Emma's mom actually saw that last text from Riley and she confronted him about it. And I don't have an exact quote here from him, but he said something along the lines of, oh, I didn't mean that, I was just so mad, I couldn't help myself. Okay, you couldn't help yourself. This was obviously a pretty big red flag to Emma's mom. This relationship was clearly becoming way too toxic, but but immediately after every mean, hurtful text, he would send an apology. Like after sending that, I hate you, I hate everything about you text, he sent Emma, I'm sorry for however I act to you. I love you more than words can describe. Now I've heard situations like this, and I'm sure you have before too. Like, When someone is in an abusive relationship and the guy would like physically hurt or, you know, like slap or yell, cuss, whatever, um, 
he would immediately apologize and beg for forgiveness. You know, we see it all the time. And so she would, you know, the girl stays with him. And then the next day or a couple days later, he would do the same thing again, physically hurt her, you know, whatever the case. So I just know this is that type of guy. He was just mentally abusing Emma at the time, but physical abuse, I'm sure, was going to come later. It was just a matter of time. But after Jill saw all these mean, hurtful texts from Riley, she knew she needed to step in and do whatever she could to keep these two away from each other as much as possible. And initially, she limited how often the two could see each other, and she would even take her phone away from time to time. However, although it appeared that Emma was going to finally break free of Riley, because I'm sure Emma told her parents kind of what they wanted to hear, um, that didn't really seem to happen. (laughs) I believe Emma and Riley must have continued to talk or see each other when they could, because eventually Emma's parents put her on complete house arrest, basically. They wouldn't let her go out except for school or work. They kept her phone away from her when she was at home. I think they kind of took it to the extreme, but I get it. And I think I would probably do the same or do whatever I could if my little girl was seeing a guy like this. But as we all know, this didn't sit well with Riley. He wasn't ready to give Emma up. So Riley ends up getting Emma an iPod touch so the two could still communicate. Now, we move into the fall of 2016. The two were still together, even after all the back and forth. Now, by this time, Riley had graduated high school and had moved out of town to attend college. The two did try to make the relationship work while Riley was away at college, but after a few weeks into the fall semester, Emma decided to call it quits. And needless to say, Riley didn't take that well. But during this time, Emma's family really started to see a change in her for the better. They had said that since she started dating Riley, she really just wasn't herself. But when she finally broke up with him, she was spending more time with her family and she was seemingly back to her happy, bubbly self that she had lost a little bit of while dating Riley, which is just sad to think about. No relationship to do that to someone. But during this time, she seemed great, very happy again. That was until Emma sees Riley's Snapchat story, and he is with a bunch of girls. And this makes her pretty upset, which I understand. I'm sure she wasn't fully over him, and to see him seemingly happy with a group of girls could be very upsetting, I'm sure. So after that, Emma's mood changed once again, and things just weren't going great for her. She just wasn't in a good place. But we find out that Things weren't going so great for Riley either. Apparently, these Snapchat stories were just a facade because after their breakup, Riley attempted suicide in his college dorm by swallowing a bunch of Vicodin pills and washing them down with alcohol. He did survive this attempt, but his mood was always up and down. His college friends did say they witnessed his mood swings. His friend Alex McCarty said some days he would be off to the side, moping and saying things like, oh, I just feel so depressed. I want to hurt myself. But the next day he'd be parting it up. So this was clearly, though, a cry for help. And it's very sad that that's pretty much what this kid needed was just help mentally. Um, I mean, one, probably for anger issues and two, for depression. I mean... I'm almost going to say bipolar. I don't think he was ever diagnosed with that, but homeboy needs some help for sure. But help was never something he received. 
unfortunately. Now, it's pretty clear that this was a relationship that was very toxic, even after the two were broken up. But boy, does it get worse. So let's move on to Friday, November 18th, 2016. Emma had gone to a party at a friend's house to celebrate a football victory. And at around 11.30 p.m. that night, one of Emma's classmates and friends, Zach Green, arrived to the party. And soon after he got there, Emma pulled him to the side and said that she had been receiving some strange text messages from a number that she didn't recognize. She said she was getting these really weird texts telling her to, quote-unquote, come outside alone if you don't want to see a loved one get hurt. She showed Zach her phone, and he read one of the texts that said, go to your car with your keys. Then it says, go alone. Then another one said, I've got someone you love. If you don't comply, I will hurt them. Zach said that initially, Emma thought it was one of Riley's friends playing a prank on her, but that she texted back threatening to call the police. But the text messages would just become more menacing from there. One said, if you'd like to hear his crying and screams, give him a call. Emma initially was begging for help from Zach, and that wasn't until eventually the two did go outside. And she said, Zach, listen, they said they dropped Riley outside. So they go outside, and boy, does this all get better. So apparently Emma, Emma goes outside to find Riley lying face down in a ditch near this house they're at at the party. Zach and Emma go over to him, and he's starting to sit up, and he looks real confused. Emma basically says, you know, why the freak are you here? And he says, I don't know what happened. I don't know where I am. I don't know how I got here. I've been kidnapped. Someone dropped me off here. I don't know what's happening. Where am I? And he says this all while holding his head like he got hit over the head with something. It's just a very strange situation to say the least, but apparently Emma didn't want any part of it. She told him, we just broke up, leave me alone. So I'm guessing she didn't believe him at all. Didn't believe this story of a kidnapping, which I mean, I wouldn't either. After that, Riley just walked off. (laughs) One of Riley's friends, Noah Walton, said that Riley called him and gave him the same story that he had been kidnapped, that somebody knocked him out, took his car and threw him in a van, and he didn't know where he was. Noah said that Riley told him not to call the cops. He even insisted no cops. So nobody called the cops. And that was the end of it. Now, we all know that that was just bullcrap, right? Which is so disturbing. Like, who goes to links like that? Who? Besides someone that's got some serious issues. I mean, Riley was clearly texting Emma from another number, testing her quote-unquote love for him wanting it to seem like Riley is going to die. Or, let me say, it's not clear if these texts ever mentioned Riley, but it was clear that that Emma thought that's who they were talking about. I mean, this kid needed help. I mean, the mental abuse this guy was capable of was just insane. But moving on to the following morning, Emma had stayed the night at this house everyone was partying at the night before, and... The following morning, she goes home. At some point after Emma gets home, she sends a text to a couple of her friends in a group message saying somebody was at her door aggressively knocking and trying to be let in. She said, 
I'm home alone and somebody in all black walked down my street and came to my house and rang the doorbell over and over again. She went on to say that I thought I was going to die. During this time, she also texts Riley for help, unfortunately. She said, quote, I hate you, but I need you right now. Riley immediately responds and says, quote, I'm coming, I'm speeding, just give me a minute. So apparently, Emma was supposed to meet her mom, Jill, somewhere that morning, and when she didn't show up, Jill went back to the home and found her daughter and Riley in the front yard. Jill said she got out of the car and asked him to leave politely, and he said, no, I'm here to help, I'm making sure Emma's okay. And Jill told him that he knows that he is not allowed there, and that he needed to leave. So, I don't know how the relationship got to this point, <laughs> but clearly it was known that Riley was not allowed at the house. I don't know if it's he's not around, allowed there alone or just not allowed there, period. That's the way she made it seem. So, Riley does end up leaving, and Emma's mom could tell her daughter was just visibly shaken and thought it could have been a burglar or maybe even a stalker. And let's stop and talk about this for a second. You know that potential burglar, quote-unquote, was Riley, right? We know that. He clearly staged his own kidnapping the night before, and that went nowhere. And now he's trying to fake a burglary or something. Who knows what? And Emma's mom definitely thought the same thing because she tells Emma, don't you find it odd that Riley was involved or appeared at both events? And Emma just says, no, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. And Jill said they were extremely worried, obviously, about about Emma, about their daughter after both of these scary and just toxic events. I mean, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was alarming. So when Emma had to go into work on Sunday, her parents followed her there and made sure she got inside her workplace. And when they went, and they went back up there, excuse me, when it was time for her to leave, and they followed her back home. They were all a little scared, and I'm sure Emma was too. I mean, she was still thinking this was a stranger, a stalker, you know, something along those lines. But by that night, everything seemed to be back to normal. Emma had texted a friend from school about a homework assignment and just kind of seemed to be in a normal headspace. I'm sure if she was still kind of shaken up or, or you know, not in a good place, then she might not be talking about homework assignments. She'd be talking about her whole crazy weekend but everything seemed to be normal at the time and she went to bed around midnight or so it was a little after 6 a.m on monday november 21st that jill walker went into her daughter's room but she couldn't wake her up jill said i said her name didn't hear anything i bumped her leg didn't hear anything and then i looked at her face She said, I checked for a pulse and couldn't find anything. That was when she ran to call 911 and she told them that she just tried to wake her daughter for school and she was non-responsive. Police were immediately sent to the home. Knox County Sheriff's Deputy Nikki Buells, the lead forensic technician on the case, said the call originally came in as a possible suicide, which kind of makes sense. You have a deceased teenage girl in her room with seemingly no injuries, so maybe she took something and died. It was Officer Buells that said when she got there, she started taking photographs of the outside of the house, just normal standard protocol, 
and then walked inside to take photographs of the inside of the home. Officer Buell said that when she went to the photograph the bedroom, she said, and I quote, there was a hole in the wall. It appeared to be a bullet hole. It was at this point that she knew that it was probably not a suicide. When the Knox County Sheriff's Lieutenant Alan Merritt arrived on the scene, he said he started looking at the outside of the house and noticed a bullet hole as well. He said the bullet hole was on the exterior of the wall about shoulder height. He then located two shell casings outside the home, so he knew two shots had been fired. When walking around the outside of the house, he eventually found a second bullet hole on a different side of the house at approximately the same height as the first. That was a little confusing to me at first until I saw a picture of the house and where the bullet holes entered the home. So now the first one officers found was on the front side of the house, right outside of Emma's room. Then they had to walk all the way around the house, basically almost making a full circle to where the fence meets the front of the house. So basically where the two corners meet, that is where the second bullet hole was. So both entering Emma's room, basically at the same point, but just a little bit to the right. Officer Merritt said, to an investigator, that tells me that the two shots were more than likely fired by the same suspect because of the height. So, that means that Emma Walker, this beautiful, young, vibrant cheerleader, had been killed by a gunshot wound to the head after two bullets had been fired into her bedroom from outside the family's single-story home. One bullet had hit her behind her left ear, and the second had lodged into her pillow. Emma's mom said that shortly after the detective got there, they were asked to leave the residence, and at that point, the house had turned into a crime scene. Immediately, investigators tried to figure out who could have killed this poor young girl, and you know it didn't take long for them to come up with their first suspect, because all of Emma's friends and her parents mentioned Riley Gall, and they really knew they had their first suspect when they spoke to two of Riley's friends. These two being Noah Walton and Alex McCarty, both that I mentioned earlier, these two friends said that Riley had texted them seemingly right after the crime was committed asking if they knew how to get fingerprints off of a handgun. The two guys freaked out on Riley saying, why would you ask us that? Don't ever ask us that, you know, etc. But Riley tried to cover his tracks after that reaction by saying his roommate had asked him that question and he was just trying to help out his roommate. Okay, BS, but whatever. So needless to say, police were pretty confident they had their, their guy. So later that same day, on November 21st, police brought Riley in for questioning. And at first, investigators just asked him, you know, where have you been the last couple days? What have you been up to the last 72 hours? He said he had stayed at a friend's house one night and just been hanging out, but never would give them a straight answer about his exact whereabouts and would just say he couldn't remember when asked exactly what he was doing at various times of the day or night. And that's obviously a pretty big red flag. It's not like they're asking you about two years ago. They're literally asking you about two days ago. I mean, there's no reason you can't remember something you did yesterday. And especially since supposedly you got kidnapped 72 hours prior. Then you had to 
rush to your ex-girlfriend's house to protect her from a possible stalker or intruder. I mean, there are a little bit of traumatic events going on. That's when you usually remember the most. (laughs) I mean, none of that was mentioned, the kidnapping or the stalker situation. That wasn't until the investigators brought it up. He would go on to explain what happened on that Friday night when he supposedly got kidnapped. He didn't know who it was that kidnapped him, and he had no idea why they would do that. He said they asked him who he'd want to talk to for the last time before he died, and he said Emma. Now, this was like the only time he actually said Emma's name. It was very strange. Riley would never say Emma's name when he was talking about the night she was killed or even after that. He said things like, the girl or my ex. That was how he described her. Police had to make him say her name at one point. Like, literally, they made him say it. Because he said, you know, that girl. And they said, which girl? And he said, the one that passed away. And they're like, okay, well, what's her name? And he finally said Emma. But to me, that's extremely telling. You typically see that in interviews. If If you're like me and watch interviews, most people probably don't. But I like to see how I like to see their mannerisms. I like to hear, you know, their voice when they're confessing or like when they're talking in an interview because it's just the most telling thing. And they all, unless you have somebody that doesn't talk, which most of the time they're going to talk eventually. But in this case, I've seen it before. They never like, even though they had a super close relationship with the person, they won't acknowledge that they did. They won't be sincere. They won't be kind. They won't call them by their first name. It's, Very telling. And this guy's no different. Now, even more strange, Riley randomly says to police, Now, I hope you don't think I did this. And the officer said, Did I say that? And he said, No, but I hope you don't think that. Hello, again, another red flag, another reason to be suspicious of this kid. But police did let him go for now. And after that interview, Riley started blowing up his friend's phone because He was told that his friends mentioned that weird text from Riley. So he was telling them that now he's going to prison because of what they told police. But the reality was, he's the one that dug himself into his grave. So at this point, Alex and Noah, the two friends, had already agreed to help with the investigation. They would go on to be a part of a sting operation. If by chance you don't know what that means... It's basically when someone works with investigators to get a suspect to confess to a crime. The person working with police either has their phone call with the suspect recorded or they wear a device to record the conversation or something along those lines. So the Tuesday night after Emma was killed, the sting operation was on, which is pretty quick. I have to give it to investigators. That's awesome. Both Alex and Noah were wired up. And there was even a hidden camera on a key fob to record their interaction with Riley. The goal of this operation was to determine where the murder weapon was or something that police could use to get a search warrant. So the two invited Riley over for some video games just to hang out and chill. And I did try to figure out how to insert a clip from the recording that night. And I figured out how to do it. But I'm not sure it's entirely legal, so I decided not to include it here, just in case. 
I'll do my research on other podcasters inserting audio clips, so hopefully I can use some in the future. But for now, I'll try to explain the best way I can what all Riley said during these recordings. So in the few that I saw, Alex and Noah sort of start out by saying how sorry they are about Emma and how the hate Riley has to go through all this. And Riley says, yeah, I want to be upset, but I can't because I'm more worried about being arrested and putting away for murder that I didn't commit. He says, quote, never in my life would I kill someone that I love so much. But as the conversation continues, he starts talking about how he trusts Alex and Noah with his life because he starts to talk about what these two said to police during their interviews. And he brings up a gun that he has. He says, quote, because this is 70 years in jail if I get convicted of something I didn't do. Alex asks, why can't you just give them the gun if you're not guilty? And he just says, quote, it just needs to be gone. For whatever reason, it just needs to be gone. Okay. (laughs) In those clips, he never fully says that he was involved, but he was clearly trying to get rid of this gun that he had, first of all. He was even trying to have Alex and Noah retract their statement to police by telling them to say they were high or on LSD or something to make it seem like their statement wasn't true. Second of all, he could care less about the death of his ex-girlfriend. He was more worried about going to prison for, quote, 70 years. Not sure where he got that number. And that tells me that he has possibly done some research on this because most of the time when you murder someone, you get life in prison. But I think this just goes to show how cocky this dude is. I genuinely think he's just so cocky that he thinks he can get away with anything. The way he treated and manipulated Emma and the way he thinks he's manipulating the cops and now this, you know, these two friends, it's just insane. But what's funny to me is that he thinks he's manipulating his friends, but in reality, they're manipulating him. It's great. I love it. But anyway, so during the whole conversation, police are listening in through the recording devices that they have planted on the two friends. But Alex and Noah are able to text investigators if they need to say something during this time because they, for all they know, this kid could be dangerous and hurt them. And I'm sure at some point they may not know how to respond or what more they need to say to push Riley further. And at one point, Riley asks his two friends if they will help him dispose of this gun. He said originally he took the gun from his grandfather's truck, but now it's at his stepdad's house. And he knows he needs to get rid of it. So the two boys agreed to go to his stepdad's house to retrieve the gun. And from there, Riley wanted to dump it in the Tennessee River. So Riley says the plan would be to go to a place called the Bluffs. It's a popular hangout spot for teens to drink, smoke whatever. And according to Riley, it's the perfect spot to dispose of a gun. Okay. And this, the bluffs actually do lead into the Tennessee river. So that's where that kind of comes in. It was after that, that the two guys hear about Riley's plan that they text police to make sure they heard the plan and to make sure that was okay for them to go. And they got the green light. So the three boys load up in, I'm assuming Riley's car and leave the apartment. And they were headed to Riley's stepdad's house to get the gun and they had several undercover police cars following them now I feel pretty confident that I would catch on to somebody following me because I'm a freak and if I see a car 
turned down the same road as me more than once, then I'll keep going until they turn down another road. Like, if I suspect somebody is following me, then I do not turn in my own driveway. I I really say that, like, sometimes, and 99% of the time, I'm like, this guy's not seriously following me. I'm being ridiculous. But if you ever genuinely feel like someone's following you, don't pull into your driveway. Call somebody, or if it's scary enough, call 911. Um, for example, if I'm coming up in my driveway, I keep going or turn down another road and circle back. Yes, I'm a paranoid person. Whatever. <laughs> now, in Riley's case, knowing he's so cocky and full of himself, I'm sure he's just in his own head. Not thinking that anyone is on to him. So, I'm sure he doesn't know anyone is following him. But, anyways, the only issue investigators do have with this whole operation is that they have to keep a fairly close distance between them and the car the guys are in. Because although everything is being recorded, if they get too far away, they can't listen to, like, the live feed they have going. And not they won't be able to hear everything as it's happening. Which is pretty important because they're waiting on Alex and Noah to get basically Riley in the right spot. For them to jump, hopefully. But the three guys arrive to the stepdad's house. Riley goes in and pretty quickly comes back out with a black trash bag about half full. Initially, his friends are trying to get him to show them what's in the bag, show them the gun, but he doesn't. He just kind of acts real nonchalant, doesn't really mention anything, nothing given away what's in the bag. So he just drives. Now, the three guys end up at an apartment complex. I never could figure out where this apartment complex was. It could have been a good parking spot to get to the bluffs, but I'm not completely sure. But either way, that's where they end up parking. And when they park, Riley starts to prepare, in a way, to get rid of the gun. He carefully puts on white gloves, almost like he's about to be in surgery. Um, Alex and Noah describe him just like very carefully putting on these gloves. And this is when the two friends get a look at what's inside of this black trash bag. First, they see black clothing items, assuming these are the clothes used during the murder. He then pulls out the murder weapon. Riley seems very calm, and Alex freaks out. In one of the recordings um, that I found online, you can hear Alex saying, like, oh my gosh, that's a real gun, and just is kind of panicking a little bit, but... Riley's cool as a cucumber, it seems like. And that is when Noah and Alex sent a text to police to tell them they could see the weapon and it was time to raid the scene. And that's what they did. It's unclear how many officers were there, but at least three or four, maybe more, um, called out to everyone in the truck and they told them to stick out their hands and they ran up to the truck and retrieved the murder weapon and arrested Riley Gall for the murder of Emma Walker. It wasn't until Riley was in the courtroom on trial that he admitted to killing Emma. At first, his defense tried to say that he was trying to scare Emma. He wasn't trying to kill her. But we all know that is just BS, because there are two shots fired into Emma's room at the perfect spot. And it's not like it's a random shot into the house. He had to put the gun right up to the wall at the spot that he knew Emma would be lying in bed. I mean, the dude's been to her house. He knows the layout of her bedroom, I'm sure. There's no trying to scare her. There's no way this was an accident that the shots would just 
would be just at the right spot to hit Emma's bed and specifically where her head would be lying on her pillow. I highly encourage you to look up the diagram of like where the bullets went in. I mean, the guy was on point. I mean, he was couldn't have had more of a perfect shot without, I mean, it's like he had x-ray vision looking into the room. It's disturbing. So it's safe to say that whole scare tactic theory can be ruled out. I don't know how it couldn't be. But ultimately, two years after Emma's murder, Riley was found guilty of first-degree murder. He was also found guilty of stalking, tampering with evidence, possession of a firearm, reckless endangerment, and felony murder. He was sentenced, though, to just 51 years in prison with the possibility of parole. Now, I don't agree with that sentence at all. I would be pissed if this was my child and or my child had been killed by this person. I think he deserves life in prison without the possibility of parole. But it's my understanding that the 51 years was the minimum that he could receive for all of his charges, which is what is de- what his defense pushed for. The prosecution did try to get an additional 18 years, but that was denied, obviously. I don't get how the numbers of number of years are determined for certain criminal acts, but I definitely don't like it. And in this situation, it's completely unjust, in my opinion. Now, Riley was allowed to speak to the family after his sentencing, and this is what he said. Quote, I'm sorry I took Emma away from you that I robbed you of the experience of watching your daughter grow up. What I can do is tell you the truth about that night. I wanted to scare her. I never meant to take Emma's life. Again, I am sorry. There is an ABC News 2020 episode on this case. That's where I first heard about this case a couple of years ago. I'm sure it's online somewhere now. I want to say I watched it on... um, the 2020 YouTube channel, if I'm not mistaken, and a few different parts. Um, It was very interesting. I highly recommend you check that out. But in that episode, Emma's mom said that she hopes that what happened to her daughter can also serve as a warning to others who may be in a tumultuous relationship like this one. I'll quote her here and say, if your boyfriend or girlfriend is telling you you can't go there or what to wear or who to hang out with or who to talk to, it's not okay. She said, I think when they become quiet and withdrawn, it's a big sign too. It's not just bruises. It's emotional and controlling. And since her death, Emma's family has tried to keep her legacy alive. Her mother said that she loved animals and wanted to be a NICU nurse. So the family has since gotten a dog park and a NICU patient room at East Tennessee Children's Hospital, both named after Emma. But that's it, guys. That's the conclusion of the Emma Walker case. Very sad, very just unnecessary. And I will say, I mean, this kid needed help, you know? I mean, he clearly at least had anger issues, to say the least. I mean, it's more to it than that. It's probably a mental health issue, even. Um, I would go as far as to say bipolar. I think I said that earlier in the episode. I mean, the boy had problems. And as a parent, as Emma's parents, I'm sure they didn't know the full extent of it. And even if they did... 
they tried really hard to keep the two away from each other. But I know relationships like that personally in high school, it's just unavoidable. I mean, it's it's toxic, but it's intoxicating. Like For some reason, when you're that young, you rely on these first love relationships a little too hard. And I'm sure that no one really knew what to do. And in that situation, I don't know if there's anything that you can do. But just hope that she wakes up and realizes this is abuse. This is actual abuse. It's it's not just how it should be or how a relationship is. No, it's abuse and it needs to be recognized. And I'm hoping that by hearing these stories that somebody out there can get out of a toxic relationship or can see it, you know, be able to recognize it when it's happening, even not in themselves, but with someone else or like a friend or something. So speak up say something that's usually what helps the most is just speaking out speaking up talking to a friend or whoever's going through something like this and if it's you then realize the red flags and realize that you deserve so much better so that's my own personal opinion on that but anyways guys so that's the case I hope you like to hear about it I know it's an important story that needs to be told and um I hope you enjoyed it But as I mentioned at the beginning, we do have a giveaway that I want to do here soon. We are coming up on 5,000 listens, which may not mean much to you guys, but the last giveaway I did, we were at 1,000, and that was only like halfway into the first season, so I'm very proud of that, and I'm very thankful to everyone that listens. It means a lot, and I enjoy it. This is just fun for me, and I'm so thankful that everyone else is having fun and enjoying it too so with that being said I will wait till we hit 1000 I think we're about 500 away and typically I get you know pretty close to that um each episode so I'm hoping the next episode or two we will be able to hit 5000 and I will do a giveaway so I'm thinking of doing like a tumbler this time which is some sort of cup last time I did a t-shirt that said I would rather be listening to true crime podcast or something like that. It was cute. I really liked it. Um, But let me know what you would like to win in a giveaway. Um, I am a girl, so part of me wants to be like, you get a a cup and a Starbucks gift card. But I know my, I do have guy listeners that may not really want Starbucks. So let me know what you want. You can message me. If you know me personally, you can text me or DM me um, and let me know what you would like to win in a giveaway and hopefully that will be coming up soon so once it does once we hit five thousand, I will announce it on the Instagram page and it'll be also on my personal Facebook page and I will let you know how to enter and what you'll win I'll have my mind made up by then (laughs) and be sure to enter and hopefully you win so I think that's it I think that's all I've got this week I hope you enjoyed it and Again, I'll be back here in two weeks with a really good case, I believe. Um, I'm still looking into it. It's going to be a rough one, but I think it's important. And many of you may have heard it. It got pretty popular back in 2020, the summer of 2020. It was a case that was originally closed as an accidental death. And you know where this is going. (laughs) Um, But later in 2020, it was reopened and It's very suspicious. Um, I'll say that. 
So that's just a little teaser for the next episode. So come back then. Can't wait to see you back. But in the meantime, stay safe and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye guys.